Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. So today we're going to talk about Moses. You guys ready? Moses. So uh, we're going to talk about Moses, three things about Moses that we're going to talk about today. Um, the tablets, the tabernacle, and the tribe. The tablets, meaning the Ten Commandments, right, what we call them, the law. The tabernacle, which basically it was a tent, right? I mean, let's call it what it is. It was a tent. But uh, in the Old Testament, when you see that word tabernacle, it's referring to a tent in particular when the nation of Israel was traveling in the wilderness. There was one tent set up right in the middle uh, where God lived. You know, God camped with them, I guess, you know. Uh, and then number three, we're going to talk about the tribe, how Moses elevated the people around him. So we're going to go through those things today. You guys ready? Come on. You guys ready? All right, so uh, if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 19 to begin here, Exodus 19, Genesis, Exodus, um, and man, let's pray together. Father, God, we're just so thankful. There's times of refreshing in your presence. Chains fall in your presence. Fear bows because you change everything. And it's not just something we sing. This is reality. You change everything. And we know that's the fact, God, but we also want to believe that. We want that to resonate in our hearts and in our minds, that you change everything. Yes, God, just this morning, we know that you are here. We know that you are present. We know that you are with us, that you are for us, that you have something to say to us this morning, and we want to hear you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, God, just bless this church, bless this word, bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Exodus 19. Uh, so if you're not super familiar with the life of Moses, if you haven't maybe read about him uh, recently, I'll give you a quick bio. He was born into a minority. He was uh, a Jew living in Egypt at the time. Um, and there was an edict put out by the ruler that said, hey, this minority group is growing too big. We need to do something about this. We're going to kill off all the males under a certain age. So you know what happens. They can't reproduce. And we are going to take back our kingdom. Moses' mother and sister put him in a basket, set him afloat on the Nile River. Uh, and he was picked up by the princess Raised in the palace with all the education, the privileges, the rights, uh, that ra being raised in the, you know, like the White House, maybe, I guess, what you could say. And he grows up that way. Um, then he comes to a certain age and he becomes aware that he is 
from this group from the children of Israel and he sees that they are enslaved and he takes it upon himself because of maybe his position or his education or you know, whatever he's got in his heart that I am going to do something about this. And he goes about just in his natural strength to try to come to a divine result and it doesn't really work out. <laughs> Is an understatement. Uh, murder, isolation, exile, and he's in the wilderness for 40 years. But at that point, Exodus chapter three, God speaks to him out of a burning bush and his whole life has changed, you know. There's a turning point there. He hears the voice of God. Then there is identity, what we were just getting before God and just hearing him speak over us, our identity. There was deliverance, redemption, rescue. There was change and freedom that took place. So we're picking up the story after the children of Israel excuse me, have left Egypt and they're standing at the base of Mount Sinai. Um, uh, verses one and two are telling us where they are and I'll just pick it up in verse three. Exodus 19. Are you there? You guys with me? Yeah. All right, come on. <laughs> I'm not really that kind of a preacher, but I, yeah, I got to throw it out there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. So Exodus 19, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thus shalt thou say. Isn't that so good? Very old King James. Uh, okay. <laughs> thus, I don't, I don't actually read the King James like that much, but like I study out of it. So then Matthew was like, well, do you want me to put the slides in the King James? I was like, I guess so, because I don't really know how it goes in any other translation right now. So thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, uh, and tell the house of uh, the children of Israel, verse four, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Isn't that incredible? I brought you unto myself. Verse five, now therefore, if you will obey my voice, that word obey, it means to hear, if you will hear my voice indeed and keep, guard, treasure my covenant, my promise, then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine and you will be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you will speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces, I love that, all of these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Whatever God says we're going to do. A few chapters later, uh, you know, Moses is about to go back up the mountain and the, the nation says to him, you know, you go up and God will speak to you. And then whatever God tells you, you come down and you tell us and we will do that, Right. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like me when you think about the tablets or the law, the Ten Commandments. Uh, I kind of think about them with these two, these two aspects there. Um, the law is about what to do and what not to do. Is anybody kinda, does that kind of ring a bell? When you kind of think about Ten Commandments, do this, don't do that, right? Are we kind of on the same page there? Do this, don't do that. But, record goes screech, but... What does verse five say? If you will hear my voice and treasure my promise. You know, the law wasn't given as do this, don't do that. But that's how it was received. That's how it was received. The law was given as hear my voice, hear me. I brought you unto myself, hear me and treasure my promise. Like what we were doing up here this morning, it might be a little awkward, Chad said, but just spend a minute and treasure the promise of God towards you right? That's how it was given. But you know, we, 
I think sometimes we go to the Bible and, you know, I say, man, I'm having trouble in my marriage. Where's the part of the Bible that talks about marriage? I'll read that and I'll do that, right? What about raising kids? We're going through this time with raising kids. Where does it talk about raising kids? I want to read there, find that, do those things. Give me the three-point message like we're giving you today. And, uh, you know, what do, what do I need to do here, right? But that's not how God gave the law. It was hear my voice, hear my voice, treasure my promise. Even when Jesus was walking on the earth, someone walked up to him and said, hey, you know, what does the law say that we should be doing? Above everything else, what should we be doing? And Jesus said, hear the voice of God, love him, and love the person in front of you. What is the law about? Hear the voice of God, love him, love the person in front of you. But we, you know, we are fallen people. We're looking for the list. We're looking for the do this and don't do that. Tell me what to do so I can do it. Uh, you know, Erwin um, McManus, we'll throw this quote up here for you guys. I love this. He's a preacher in California. He said, I am convinced that God does not give us the practical steps. We're looking for the practical steps, right? Give me the list. What are the things I need to do to have a better marriage, to have better kids, to have a better work life, right? But he says, I'm convinced that God does not give us the practical steps because if he did, I would just do them and repeat them and do them again and again and again, and I would never seek him. That's like the one who brought me out of Egypt, I would never seek him. Moses, you go up the mountain, whatever God says to you, just tell us and we'll do that, right? Uh, there, is, um, there is a famous uh, commentary, commentary, Jewish commentary in the, on the Old Testament, uh, probably the most famous. His name is Rashi. I guess when you're that famous, you only need one name, Rashi, right? So uh, when he gets to the book of Ruth, he says, you know, um, there's no law in the book of Ruth. There's no commandments given that we need to obey. And he says, it's kind of odd. But maybe it's because the law is not about obedience primarily, but it is about kindness. And we might expound upon that and say, you know, maybe the Bible, maybe God, maybe my life is not about obedience to a set of do's and don'ts or right and wrong or good and bad. Maybe it is about humility and grace and forgiveness and love and joy and the fruit of the Spirit just pouring out of me like a spring of water. Maybe this is what life is about. This is incredible, man. So point number two, the tabernacle. If you'll turn a few pages ahead, Exodus Chapter 33, the tabernacle, the tent, right? So Moses is up on the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments. And uh, not only does he get the Ten Commandments, but God is also giving him instructions on how to build this tent where God is going to live. And as Moses is coming down from the mountain, he sees below him the whole nation of Israel just going nuts over this giant golden baby cow. So he smashes the tablets, goes back up, and he says, God, you got to forgive us. And Exodus 33, verse 1, we'll pick it up right here. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm just, I'm not that kind of preacher. I'm sorry. It just, I tried again. It's just not, I can't. <laughs> so the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up hence, you and the people that you brought out of the land of Egypt. You can tell God's kind of a little peeved. You, you and the people that you brought up, right? Maybe we could read it that way, I don't know. 
unto the land that I swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, saying, unto your seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, the Jebusite. All these nations that are living there, I will get rid of them for you. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I won't go up in the midst of you. For you are a stiff-necked people. You're proud. You're arrogant. Lest I consume you in the way. This is wild, right? So Tim Keller says, this is basically most of our dream religion, right? That God says, I'm gonna deal with your problems. I'm gonna wipe it all out for you. I'm gonna give you every provision. Every promise will be fulfilled. And you don't have to worry about things like obedience and faith and like getting to hear my voice, like those kind of things, right? Like not bad, maybe, you know? God's gonna take care of everything for us. We don't have to worry about all the nasty bits about like, you know, sitting before God and saying, God, if there be any wicked way in me, right? Like, sounds great, but not from Moses, right? So what Moses does is he takes a tent, not like the tent, right? But he takes a tent, he walks out of the camp, three million people, so maybe he was walking for a while, right? Walks out, sets it up way on the outside, and he goes and he sits in the tent. And I love this. I, read, I was looking at this this morning, Verse 11, it's not, it won't be up here, I don't think. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses sets up the tent. We'll get back to the chair, right? And Moses just sits in the tent and says, God, this is what you want, you know, way out here. And he sits before God, right? And sometimes I just need to sit before God. Sometimes I just need to sit before God and say, God, like, you know. <clears throat> and then Moses says to the Lord, so you're telling me, bring up this people, and you haven't told me whom you're gonna send with me. But you said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. So if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. This is incredible. So God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God says, okay, it's going to happen. I, I am going to be with you. My, my presence will be with you. I will give you rest. And maybe it looks like this. Like, you know, I don't know what this past couple of days have looked like for you or what this week has looked like for you or what you have in your, in your history, what's rolling around in your heart right now, you know. But I think, like, the presence of God is like this, that... Um, <clears throat> So, you know, we say that God will work together all things for the good to them that love him, right? And it doesn't mean that all the bad things are turned into good things, right? That's not what it means. The bad things are still the bad things. The, the stuff that has hit the fan in your life is still that same stuff, right? You know where I'm going with this, but this is church, right? <laughs> okay, right? I mean, God doesn't magically go in and turn all the bad stuff into good stuff. But what happens is we, like Moses, we pitch the tent and we go and sit there before God. And God works it together for good. 
to those that love him, to to those that go into the tent and sit before him, and he speaks to them face to face like a friend. There is love there. God says, I brought you out unto myself, not to do and don't do. I brought you out to be with me. And that's what Jesus says centuries later to the disciples. You know where you're gonna get the authority to walk this walk with me? Not because of your behavior, not because you're so great. You were nothing. I called you to myself. And then later in the book of Acts, it says that, who are these guys? Like they, they have no education. They're nobodies. They come from the lowest trades, but they have been with Jesus. They took time and they sat in the tent and God didn't turn their bad stuff into good stuff, right? But God worked it together for good because they sat with him. And he spoke face to face like a friend. The bad stuff is still the bad stuff. I think it's Proverbs 10, that the memory of the righteous is blessed. Not that we look back into our past and we say, oh, that was so great. Like, no, that was hell, maybe. You know. But you look back and you say, God has been with me all my days. (laughs) Man, it's incredible. Uh, I was at a worship conference a little, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, and someone was speaking, and I never forgot this quote right here. It just hits. It is not our story of struggle, but it is God's story of rescue. You know, when we think back, the memory of the righteous, the memory of you and I, it's blessed. We don't, you know, it's heavy, and it hits hard, and it hurts, and there's bitterness, and there's wounds. But it's not my story of struggle. It is God's story of rescue, and that is the truth. And maybe I just need to sit before God and let him speak to me like a friend, you know. So now let's get into the third point. Are you with me still? Okay. The tribe. Moses elevated the people around him. Let's turn back one page and just look at one verse here in Exodus 32. It's verse 30. And there's a big word here, but we'll talk about it. Came to pass the next day, Moses said unto the people, you have sinned like huge. (laughs) And now I will go up to the Lord. Maybe, maybe I will make an atonement for your sins. There's the big word, atonement, atonement. And the word itself, it's really simple. It just means to cover, you know, but all of its implications, it starts getting theological, but we won't really go there today. It means to cover, but not in the sense of hiding, right? But in the sense of rewriting. And the picture, a lot of these Hebrew words, they, they're, they're not defined with words, they're defined with pictures. And the picture is a piece of wood that naturally is porous and it absorbs water but you cover it with pitch or a waterproofing substance and it changes its nature almost. Now it repels water. It's like contrary to what wood normally does. Its nature has been rewritten. And this happened with one person in particular and it's just one chapter back in chapter 31 when God is talking to Moses about building the tabernacle. He says in verse two, I have called by name Bezalel. Can you guys say that name? Bezalel, Bezalel. Woo, you guys are good. And he says, verse three, I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works in gold and silver and brass. And he keeps going. This is the first person in the Bible that it says that the spirit of God was on him. 
And he wasn't a worship leader. He wasn't a pastor. He was a laborer. He was an artisan. And the wild thing about this is that 31 usually comes before 30. There we go. You guys are, okay, all right, all right. Uh, and what happens in chapter 32? Aaron gathers gold off of three million people, throws it into this big furnace, says, I don't know, Moses, this like golden baby cow came out. I don't know what happened, right? I don't think so, right? I think he recruited some craftsmen to make this thing, and I have to imagine this guy, Bezalel, was there. And then, you know, Moses smashes the tablets, goes back up with a new set of tablets, and God who says, okay, my presence will go with you. Let's talk about this tabernacle thing again, how we're gonna make it happen. And he gives it to Moses again. And guess who God brings up to build this thing? Can't be Bezalel. Like, what a loser. Like, that guy, he made the golden calf. Like, probably, arguably, the biggest mistake in the nation of Israel's history up till this point. No way, not this guy. Chapter 37, I think it is. God says, go get Bezalel because God is rewriting his story. God is rewriting his story. He is not his past. He is not, and when I say he, I mean like uh, me, us. Like, we are not, you are not your past. You are not your failures. You are not your mistakes. You are not your sin. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. All things are what? They're gone, and all things are become new. Everything. Yeah, but what about this thing? It's gone. It's gone. Your past is being rewritten. You are not that thing anymore. You are not that person anymore. You are a new creature in Christ. Your sin is so far gone, it's from the east to the west in Psalm 103.12. He says twice in the book of Hebrews, I will never remember it. I will never remember it. He says in Micah 7, 18 and 19 that he passes by it. He doesn't even give it a second look. Like, this is insane. Why would he do this for us? Because it says in Micah 7, 19 that he delights in mercy. He loves it. He loves rewriting your story. Let's not rob him of that by holding on to it and saying, no, God, like, I know you called me initially. I know you saved me. I know you did this and you did that in my history. But then I did that. God says, I'm not intimidated. I'm not intimidated by your past, by your failure, by your mistakes. They are so small. Look at how big I am. My grace, my joy, my peace, my mercy, and I'm just speaking it out over you, God says. Like, this is incredible. God rewriting our story. And you know, uh, like, this is great, right? But this is not really about us this morning. We are not the Moses in this story. We are the children of Israel in this story. Arrogant, bitter, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die when we know that God said he brought us out to be with him? God, why have you done this for me? I've served you, and now you're making me serve at two services. <laughs> like, how could you do this to me? You know, I mean, God, I've done so much for you. God's like, really? You know, I mean, I'm not belittling 
I'm not, bel- I'm not trying to belittle your sacrifice. I mean, it is, right? It, it is a sacrifice. It is, a, it, you know, it says, um, you know, Hebrews chapter 13, that you bring a sacrifice of praise. It does cost you something to praise God. It does. There are things that are rooted so deep in us that it costs you something to get down deep and to dig that thing out and to set it before God in the tabernacle. But, you know, we're the children of Israel in this story. We're just like, bumbling along, you know, we need a Moses. And this is not the story of us making it. This is the story of Jesus Christ covering us and rewriting our history. And so we'll just end with this one right here. This story is not about us. It's not about us being Moses. This is about Christ. And I want to give you three things just as we wrap up, coming from John chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but they're all kind of in John chapter 1. And there are these three points that we talked about, the tablets, the tabernacle, and the tribe. And the first one about the tablets, the law, the word, is that in John chapter 1, Jesus is the word. The word made flesh. And when he was walking around on the planet, he wasn't, it wasn't a do this, don't do that thing, right? Uh, you know, when we think of miracles... This is a little rabbit trail. We're going to follow for a minute. When you think of miracles, you know, we tend to think of them as a suspension of the natural order, right? Something out of the ordinary happened. But actually, a miracle is God reversing. Like, he is mm, not reversing. God is setting right the natural order. Like, people are supposed to be able to walk, so he makes a lame man walk. Eyes are supposed to be able to see, so he makes a blind man see. People are supposed to be whole, so God makes lepers whole. People are supposed to be living, so he raises the dead. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it wasn't a do this, don't do that. It was, you got a withered hand and you're in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and Jesus says, put your hand out, you're whole. I am here now, and I am for you. Second thing, John chapter one, the presence of God. The word became flesh and lived here. And John has the audacity to use this word, tabernacle. (laughs) Like, you know, so Moses is in that tent and God says, okay, I'm gonna go with you. Moses says, how would I know that you're gonna go with me? God says, I'm gonna show you my, my goodness. But you can't see all my glory because I would wipe you out. You're like a little match and I am like a tsunami. I would just wipe you out. There's no way. But I'll show you like a little bit. And we get kind of, we kind of laugh at the King James, the backside, right, you know, <laughs> of my goodness, right? But it means like you, you won't be able to see it clearly. The Apostle John writing this first chapter of John, he has the audacity to say that we have seen everything of the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. He gave us everything that when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we got to see all of the goodness of God. And he says it later when he writes his epistle, 1 John, he says, we saw him, we saw how he talked to people, we saw how he touched people and how he healed people, we saw how he ministered to people, we heard the tone of his voice when he spoke. It was incredible, it was like nothing else, and it changed their lives. And then the third thing, how Jesus elevates the people around him. You know, it says that as many as believed him, to them he gave the power, the authority, the right to become, to become. You know, when we go to our Bibles and when we go to church, it's not about information. 
right? It's not about, I know we gave you a three-point message, right? And we're still going, but it's like, it's not about the three points. It's not about going to the Bible and reading the things that talk about faith. Oh, I'm really in doubt right now. I need to go to the chapters on faith and do those things. It's not about the information. It's about Galatians 4.19, Christ being formed in you. And Paul relates it's like a woman giving birth, like it takes time. It's months and months and months. And you go through something and you sit before God and you give that to God. And then you go through something else and you sit before God and you give that to him and you let him talk to you like a friend, right? And something is happening in you in those times. Formation is happening. Christ is being formed in you. You know, because it's not enough to know Bible verses. Like, that's great. It's not enough just to go to church and, you know, like we say, bottoms with our kids, bottoms and seats, right? I mean, that's great. Thank you for being here. But what these things are about is formation. Christ being formed in us. And it happens in the day-to-day it happens in the struggles. It happens when, you know, the nation of Israel is just totally given over to this idolatrous moment and Moses smashes the tablets on the ground, says it's broken. The whole system is broken. But God says, come back up. Come back up and I will speak to you again. I will speak to you again. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes here with me this morning, we'll just have a prayer. God, we just thank you if there is anybody in here this morning and and you are looking for this, for God to speak to you, for God to be with you, to show you that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's just asking for one moment right now where you just say to him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. It's not everything that you guys are going to talk about, but it's the beginning of that conversation. Jesus, I give you my life. And if that's you here today, if you wouldn't mind, just put your hand up real quick and put it back down just so we can pray with you. If you said that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. And for the rest of us here this morning, God, we just thank you that you have done this for us, that you have brought us out on eagle's wings to be with you, to hear your voice, to treasure your promise. Yes, God, we thank you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we stand on the promise that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, revealing who we are and changing us from the inside out. So, Father, I pray that this word would settle on our hearts and in our lives. God, that we would pursue becoming who you've called us to be instead of behaving how we think we should. That in the busyness of life, God, we would find ourselves at your feet. 
God, for those who lifted their hand and coming into relationship with you and saying yes to you, or maybe those that, that were ashamed or afraid to lift their hand in a room full of strangers, but God, you know their hearts. Your word says that you know everything about us, that even before we were formed in our mother's womb, you knew us, that all the days of our life were laid out before us. So, Father, I pray that forgiveness is found. I pray that healing is found and that grace and mercy is found. 